When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited at 815 there's a movie coming to Los Angeles about the Hawaiian great Duke Kahanamoku, the father of surfing. We're going to talk about why they made this movie, about the book Dave Davis wrote about the great Hawaiian, the father of surfing. You know how much I love the world of sports, the world of art, the world of surgery. The most compelling part to me about Duke Kahanamoku is that he actually built the very surfboard because there were no surfboards. When he grew up, born in 1890, he still wanted to ride the waves that he had heard about that the ancient Polynesians had done. So you had to build your own board. Well, the world of art, George Harrison rescued for all of us the sitar from the man, the only one who could still play it, Ravi Shankar, to ride the sound waves that we hear. That's today's topic, resurrecting something from the past. Duke did not invent the surfboard. Ravi Shankar did not invent the sitar. But these men rescued it from the past. It's an awesome story. And I want to talk about three surfboards that Duke Kahanamoku made. One in Australia, one here in California, and one in Hawaii. Made by hand from a plank of wood. So where exactly did this crazy thing called surfing really come from? In large part from this man and this board. Here is the legend of Duke Kahanamoku and the board that he rode into history. Duke Kahanamoku was born in 1890. Like many other Hawaiian boys, he had been named for the Duke of Edinburgh, who had visited the islands in 1886. As a teenager, he helped resurrect the ancient Polynesian sport of surfing, which had been suppressed during the colonial period. After his Olympic triumph in Sweden, he continued to globetrot. Around Christmas Day, 1914, he reached Sydney, Australia. He was here for what they called the Kahanamaku Carnivals, which was, was swimming exhibitions, and he went around the country swimming. But after a while, he was bored with mere swimming. The 25-year-old Duke wanted to surf. Problem was, nobody had ever surfed down under. Although Australia was surrounded by wide beaches with shapely waves, nobody was riding them, unless you counted the sharks. So his notoriety came from shattering world records as a swimmer. He winds up in the 1912 Stockholm Olympics and meets an Australian who he beats in the Olympics but really becomes great friends with Cecil Healy. That friendship led to after the Olympics were over, he goes to Australia to show off the swimming. But he gets bored and he sees all these beautiful waves in Sydney and says, I'm going to get myself a wooden plank and make a surfboard. The Australians hear about it. And that board that he made is in a museum. Since there were no surfers, there were no boards. Not a problem for Duke, who was used to carving his own. Kahanamoku ordered a length of sugar pine from a local hardware store. He then went to work with carving tools and in a few hours had fashioned a serviceable board. It was shaped like a bullet and was about as subtle. 
It had no fins. It was big, eight and a half feet long, and heavy. Quite amazing. Weighs about 65, 70 pounds. It's very heavy. Anyone who's ever lifted it would know how heavy it is. So wherever he went, he needed a board. Well, 10 years later, he winds up in California, Corona del Mar, where he actually rescues. And every lifeguard now has a surfboard because of Duke Kahanamoku to rescue people. But he had to shape that board also. And that board, like the Australian board, is in a museum. Only here it's in Huntington Beach. Here's Henry Ford and Paul Strauss standing in front of the board that Duke Kahanamoku made to change the world here in California. Paul, this uh, we're standing in front of, I mean, history here. I, I get fur on the back of my neck whenever we get around Duke Kahanamoku and what he gave to the world, and that was surfing and this board here. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about it. Duke was the father of modern surfing. He really put surfing on the map. Prior to him becoming uh, well-known for his surfing prowess in Waikiki Beach, it was really reserved for the elite or the royalty, those in Hawaiian uh, hierarchy. They were the only ones allowed to surf. But Duke really brought it forward in a new era after the missionaries got there and... and uh, Wiped out the Hawaiian culture pretty much. This board is very special because it was uh, created here in California at Corona del Mar in the 20s. And two brothers, the Voltaire brothers, which were aeronautical engineers. And this board was actually shaped by Duke on the beach at Corona del Mar, I believe, in the 20s. Uh. And here's Duke himself being interviewed by Bruce Brown about the third board I want to talk about. A massive board, 16 feet, weighing 110 pounds that he rode for the longest amount, a mile and an eighth. Listen to Bruce Brown talking, and you'll hear the actual voice of Duke Kahanamoku. Duke Kahanamoku. Duke, it's a real honor to be here on your island for this Invitational Surfing Championship. Well, Bruce, I'm glad you came to Hawaii. For those of you who may not know all about Duke, back in 1911, he jumped in the Honolulu Harbor, swam a 100-yard freestyle, and broke the existing world's record by four and a half seconds. He went on to compete in four Olympic Games spanning a period of 20 years, won many gold medals. I've always been curious, Duke, was it more of a thrill to win those Olympic Games or ride some of those giant waves at Castle Surf I know you used to ride? Oh, they're pretty, uh, both of quite thrilled, but I think this surfing is much more to me, the greatest thrill of my life. He's riding one of these big surf with a heavy board, weighs about 114 pounds and about 16 feet long. <laughs> There's a story of Duke riding a wave at Waikiki one day for a mile and an eighth. It's a legend over here in Hawaii, and so is the Duke. A 16-foot board weighing 114 pounds. In Australia, in California, and in Hawaii, and now all over the world. Creating the vehicle to ride the ocean waves. But what about in the world of art? Well, this is a song from 1965 that the Beatles introduced to Western ears for the first time. An instrument, the vehicle to ride sound waves with, ancient, called the sitar. Right. George Harrison rescues that sound. But the man who actually rescued it originally was Ravi Shankar. There's a power in that ability to ride waves, whether they're ocean or sound waves. And it hits you right in the chest. Listen to George Harrison talking about how he came upon recognizing that he had to do his part to bring this surfboard of sound waves, the sitar, to life. It's... um very deep music and everlasting it's not music that comes one day and is gone the next day it has a deep spiritual meaning and uh, it also has in the classical music that Ravi plays not on this record but his music with sitar and tabla has incredible improvisation now listen to Ravi Shankar, who he's talking about, the Dukahanamoku of Indian music. Talk about the power 
of the sitar instrument. My music was known already because I was... I think that is something which George gave the hint. It is not the speed or the virtuosity or the playfulness or the happiness which many music has, starting from Paganini's uh, or jazz, or name it, I mean, speed and excitement you find in so many, but it doesn't stay. After some time you shout, you go crazy, but when you go home you might forget it. But our music has this speciality which, because it has been handed down from person to person, it's an oral tradition, it's not a written down music. And it is also improvised all the time. So all these gifts, a special thing in our music, and the guru passes not just the technique or the fixed things of music, but the whole spiritual aspect, all the meaning of life, philosophy, everything is passed along with the music. Did you hear what he said? This sitar is improvised. As you're playing it, you have to jump around. It's not like a cookbook. Well, guess what? You ride a surfboard on the ocean waves. You got to improvise as well. No two waves are the same. There's a similarity between the sitar and the surfboard and also between the men who rescued it, Duke Hanamoku and Ravi Shankar. And without knowing technically or understanding this does have an effect on a listener, even if it's absolutely new. And I felt it from the very beginning. Well, yes, it is. That's what it is in, I think, classical Indian music. They have an expression which is um, Nadha Brahma, which means... Nadha Brahma, which means uh, sound is God. Sound of God. You want to feel God? Get in the ocean. You want to hear what it sounds like? This is the Beatles. Love you too. Wow. George Harrison. Learning it from Ravi Shankar. Ravi Clapper. Learning it from Dukahanamoku. Every twang makes your heart vibrate. We're going to talk about what exactly Dukahanamuku meant and means and why it's important to make a movie about his life. He is that important. He is that special. And we'll get into it coming up next here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Soon to be a major motion picture. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Without a good hip, you ain't hopping, that's for sure. <laughs> Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You're listening to George Harrison playing the sitar, riding those sound waves in your ear, rescuing that instrument from the past, ancient Indian music. In the same way, in my opinion, Dukahanamoku rescued the surfboard from the past. Joining me now is a man who knows a lot about Dukahanamoku because they made a movie about his life. Isaac, thanks so much for waking up early to be with us. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Holy cow. I, I love listening to your show already. You got 
You got me George Harrison, ZZ Top, and Kobe all the same moment. I feel great. <laughs> and Isaac. I was like, holy cow. Oh, thank wow. you, Isaac. I appreciate it. And listen, for many years, I had a longboard, surfboard at the police station at Waikiki, right behind that Duke statue that apparently your uncle sculpted. Is that true? It is true, yeah. My uncle Jan Fisher. The whole reason I'm Polynesian is because of, of that guy. My mom came to live with them out in Hawaii, and next thing you know, uh, she found a Tongan. They were kind of hit, immigrated to Hawaii, and out came me. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, and, that's just. Nah, I love it. I love it. There's a special thing about, though, Jerry Lopez, who I surfed at Pops twice with, told me that that spot, Pops, where I surf, was believed to be healing waters. And when the ancient Hawaiians got sick, whatever the illness was, they went to that spot and were healed by those waters. So that that Duke sculpture that your uncle made is in a very important spot to the ancient Polynesians. There's a big ocean out there. But unique to that spot, no shark will ever bite you, even though there's sharks in the ocean. It is definitely a very special spiritual place to be in the ocean. So, Isaac. Yeah, it's, it's also sitting right about where the long right ended, too. Uh, yes. The famous long right. So, teacher, I love Dave Davis. He's been a guest on this show when he first wrote the book, uh-huh. Waterman. He wrote an article about this show, The Weekend Warrior, for the L.A. Times Magazine section. I have a very warm place in my heart for Dave Davis, the author of the book. But take us through how this project, this movie that you helped create, came about. And what is it about Duke Kahanamoku that is so special to you and to the rest of us? Well, it's, you know, it's it's like so many things. But I got lucky since my uncle did make that statue, that I always knew the story. My uncle, as an artist, believed the stingers needed to be guided by knowledge and love. And so he would, when he did that statue, he created an entire binder of research on Duke, so he knew everything he could find hmm. and then let that guide him as he, as he sculpted. And so it was like a big deal to him. So when, when he has this Polynesian nephew, of course he was going to teach me about this guy as much as he could. Hmm. You know, so I... I I still do today where I go, whenever I come to Hawaii, in fact, I'm, I'm here right now, I'm overlooking Waikiki while I talk to you, hmm. and I can see where the statue is. And he, but every time I come, I come because on the back of the right foot of Duke's, uh, the statue on his foot is my uncle's name. That's where he signed it. Hmm. So I just tap it, say hi to my uncle, and wow. get going. And uh, wow. right before he died, he had suggested, you know, my career had really started to move. I, I my music videos, if you don't imagine dragons, I've done mm-hmm. some of their bigger music videos and, and things have gone. He said, you ought to try to do this. And it was at his funeral. My uncle, you know, when it really hit me hard that, you know what, why don't people know this guy very well? Like what happened? Hmm. Why did I, I live, you know, I live in Utah now. And I was like, why, why did I around so many Polynesians that don't know? We got this guy, one of our guys that is one of the biggest deals the world has ever seen. Hmm. So, so I just, I took it up and, and I found David Davis's book. It's actually because of David Davis. Dude, I've been following you on Twitter for, since I think 2016. I've, I've been, I've been digging you. <laughs> I'm a jazz fan, you know? So it's like, I'm like, okay, I can take this guy. It's okay. You know? <laughs> but I was, but I love it. Well, and I'm a big Kobe guy. So I, I love your support of Kobe and all that, yep. you know? And, yep. and it's, uh, thank you. He loved this show. I am never going to stop, Isaac, playing that promo that he did for this show as long as I do this show. And may he rest in peace. But it just touches us all because how much, in a similar way, Kobe Bryant touched people who aren't even basketball fans in a way with his work ethic and Mamba mentality. But guess what? So did Duke Kahanamoku. They're very similar in that they touch people who are not even surfers. They love and yeah. appreciate your, you know, your favorite guy, Duke Hanamoku. Oh, yeah. well, you know, I knew Kobe a little bit. He and I are the same age. And when he was his rookie year, when he played the jazz in the playoffs, I was working for the jazz on the floor as a cable boy oh, for the wow. broadcast. I just wanted to be on the floor and I'd take any job that got me there. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because he came up to me and it was obvious that we were both the kids in the stadium. <laughs> and he's just like, and he's just like, you're the only one I could talk to. I'm like, hey, yeah, I guess so, huh? <laughs> so we just sat and chatted. And, and so I was at his last game in Utah. And ironically, when the day that, you know, 
everything happened when he died, I was visiting, I was sitting in the spot just trying to reflect and feel Duke because I was where Duke had died. Mm. And so the news hit me while I was sitting where Duke was, when he, where, where his last moment was too. And I was like, this is odd to me. This is, this is big. Mm. And, and it's like, and so it's one of my, my favorite sports icons of my era while I'm sitting in the spot where one of the greatest of my people, you know, my, my culture was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Duke, Duke transcends so much. And, and the, the real kicker for me is I worked on a show called Gangland with the History Channel for a little while. And we did a, an episode on the Tongan Crip Gang. It was just this heartbreaking moment to be, to see Polynesian kids that felt they had to live a culture and lifestyle that really didn't fit with what we are as a people. Hmm. And so it was just, it was like, you know what? I, I mean, we can't change everybody, but if we can throw something good out there and show people, hey, we had a guy the whole world loved. Everyone loved the poly. It's still today, people, they'll put on an Aloha shirt. They want to be, they want to get on a surfboard. If I could just show them this guy that took a moment where as in a superstardom and did like you said, and took it somewhere else and said, hey, hey world, let me help you. Let me show you a, a really cool thing, a way to feel healed. You know, because surfers, enjoy life in a way no one else does right and it's like he just he wanted to show the world aloha and something that just felt incredible to him and it i think that's when i made this movie in this documentary what blows me away is you just mentioned duke and you show that you're serious about it and they came out of the woodwork you Mm -hmm. know suddenly it's laird hamilton and kelly slater and jack johnson and carissa moore and kyle lenny all of them like hey let's talk let me get i want to be in it they're mm-hmm. offering to be part of it. They were just calling, you know, like saying, hey, is that, what are you doing? It was like, they wanted to be part of it and to talk to. It was great. It's great. Doing good for goodness sake. Um, and you, can, you can't even imagine the difficulties he had because it's, it's a different era, you know, not being able to get a paycheck, not being able to create a brand. But yet he somehow was able to, to keep at it. Um, what is it that you want the audience to take away from the movie? Well, it's, it's funny. I, you know, as a, as a, as a poly boy and a, a proud American little kid, I wanted to show, especially America, someone that has slipped under the radar. It was, and I was hoping that everyone, when they talk about, you know, Jesse Owens and Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali and Jim Thorpe, that Duke is immediately part of that conversation. But what I got out of it is that you can never talk about Duke without talking about Aloha. And that was what he did by design. He wanted the world to know what Aloha was. And, and I think it worked because you think about Aloha is one of the most popular words in the world. This, this little teeny population of people that spoke this barely known language, and yet it's one of the most famous words in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and he wanted to know because it, there's so much in that word where the word literally means you're giving part of yourself to the other. When you say aloha, you're giving part of yourself to them. And it, it like changes the way you treat people. And it's like, it brings happiness with it. It's like surfers. It's like, there's so much healing in surfing. You, you see what, like, like veterans use surfing to heal. You see people that just have the worst time of their life and they'll get out on a wave and, and they just ride it in. It's like you and nature become one for a minute, you know? And it, so it's, uh, it's wild to me that, I wanted to show off my guy. You know, I'm like, hey, I got a guy. My support's here. And what I got was, and I guess I got to show off his philosophy because you can't do one without the other. That's the way Duke wanted it. You know, the greatness of Michael Jordan, the greatness of Kobe Bryant, whenever you talk about greatness, you always have to talk about the fact that they make the people around them great. So when you talk about Aloha, you can talk about a person and how kind and beautiful they are and they have aloha in their heart. But the ultimate is if you can actually bring aloha out of someone else. So the story that yeah. doesn't get talked enough about in, in the movie and even in these sound bites I have, I want, I want to play the sound bite for this reason. Let's listen to this from Australia. After his Olympic triumph in Sweden, he continued to globetrot. Around Christmas Day, 1914, he reached Sydney, Australia. What's left out of that story is that, yes, in the whole story, which you do beautifully in the movie, of how he ends up going to Australia after the Olympics. He's a hero now. But what people don't realize is, and take us through this, Isaac, 
he was mm-hmm. not going to be able to swim in the finals, right? He got into some kind of yeah. technical problem, and it was the Australian Cecil Healy who had Aloha yeah. in his heart, who said, here's the dark-skinned guy that you all want to knock out, just like Jim Thorpe, that you really don't want to yeah. see them succeed. But I ain't racing unless he races, because I need to beat the best. And that's why he ends up going to Australia, because he yeah. paid him back, basically. Take us through that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if the, you know, the Americans, they just, they've been misinformed on the time of the finals race. Duke had destroyed the competition going, getting, preparing for the final race to the point where I, I put the soundbite when Duke talks about it. He's like, oh, I saw it was like way ahead. So I just slowed down. And like, y'all hear the audience laugh. It's like, what? <laughs> Duke didn't like making people look bad. Wow. Yeah, he wanted to, he's like, I want to win, but I want to make everyone feel bad. So he'll wow. win. <laughs> and, and the coaches are cursing at him. But yeah, he missed, he missed the race. And, Everyone was, they were just going to move on. I mean, you look at the Olympics today. If someone is disqualified because they missed, no one's even going to talk about them again. They're gone. Right. You know, that's just how it works. But Cecil Healy, just a special human being. Mm-hmm. To say, well, I, I am not getting in that water unless I'm racing this guy because I want to beat the best. Mm. Like a true competitor. That's, that's the most Kobe thing I could think of. It's like, right. yo, give me the best. I, I want to beat the best. Correct. Just, and Correct. Michael Jordan, those are my favorite heroes do that. And then Duke beat him by two seconds. So like, it wasn't even just, you know, it wasn't just like a close race. Duke, two seconds was a lot in swimming. And so he wins it, and they became very close. Duke very, understood very well what Cecil had done for him. And Cecil, again, he, he does it again, though, too. With, he invites Duke out to Australia. He's, he's, help, he's part of that committee that helps him out there. And there's, it's my, one of my favorite quotes that we wrote in it, where Australia at the time was very much like the way they treated the Aborigines, the way they, they saw race was mm-hmm. very, it was just, a very, there was a divide. You know, Austra- like Tongans and Samoans, and they were second-class citizens to the Australians. And Cecil wrote, he's like, and I'm paraphrasing, but through this thing, I think Duke will change people's minds after mm-hmm. he gets here. Wow. And he does. And, and you think about what happened while Duke was there. In Australia, surfing is, I mean, it just rules. And that was the moment Duke brought this sport in and showed Australians, look what you can do with this. And it changed everything. And what about when he goes into the crowd of freshwater and takes a white girl and puts her on his shoulders and tandem surfs with her? People, they must have had a heart attack. But talk about Uh, breaking down racial barriers. He did it before anybody else ever did it. Oh, yeah, he breaks a racial barrier. Well, and women weren't allowed in in a lot of those beaches at the time. He's down at Manly Beach going... All right, I'm going to take a girl then. You know, and I don't know if they, when they first said, hey, we should try to can and serve. I, didn't, I don't know if they knew he was going to take this rebel girl on the beach and throw her on his shoulders. Wow. But he did it. And Isabel is, is a hero to a lot of the, the, the female surfers in Australia still today. Wow. So it's, uh, Isaac, can you hang on the line? Isaac, can you hang? I, I want to ask you about another angel from above that dropped into his life, which was the coach at the University of Pennsylvania when he yeah. actually lost. So I want, can you stay on the line? Oh, for sure. For okay, sure. I'm going to pay some bills. Weekend Warriors, <laughs> what a treat to be able to talk to Isaac about the mo- the movie Waterman coming to Los Angeles. I'm so excited about the book Dave Davis wrote. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Roberto Clapperio, a fish tacologist. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I know the ins and outs of a fish taco. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the Rolling Stones, painted black, using the sitar that they learned from George Harrison, putting it on Norwegian wood in 1965, rescuing it from the ancient past by Ravi Shankar. Exactly what Duke Kahanamoku did, rescuing surfing and the surfboard so that all of us can ride the ocean waves like the sitar can ride the sound waves. Isaac, what a movie. I want to ask you, I learned 
about the fact that he actually, Dukahanamoku, that is, the movie we're talking about is Waterman coming to Los Angeles, about the University yeah. of Pennsylvania coach, also an angel from above, who looked at him and said, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to swim because you actually don't know how to flip turn and all the other things that he had, muscle cramps. What happened mm -hmm. with the coach of the University of Pennsylvania? Well, I, I'd like to think that Kessler recognized Duke was put in, a, and who knows if people did it on purpose, but he was put in a position where it, there was no way he was going to succeed. Going straight from Hawaii on a ship and then two weeks across the entire country through a winter, a Hawaiian going through the winter, seeing all this stuff for the first time, eating food he'd never eaten, and gets right off the train in Pittsburgh and jumps in the water to show how fast he is. And it's just, it's one of those things where anyone that travels knows that you are not at your top. And especially, you know, he was dehydrated. And he gets in that water and he's never swam in, the, in a pool before or indoor. And it just, it, it's something, you know, anyone that gets to, I mean, you would know, especially surfing in Hawaii, like the water here, and then you go to California, you, you feel like you're going to die. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's how it works. And so he gets in that water, he cramps. It's like pretty much what a lot of people probably wanted to see. Like, ah, see that, that, that Hawaiian doesn't know. He can't swim. They, they messed up that time. There's no way the first time he ever swam in his life, he broke a world record by four seconds. Mm -hmm. And then in comes George Kessler, this man from, from Penn, you know, who's, he's the swim coach there. And he just saw something. He gives, he gives Duke a couple pointers just to see what happens. And Duke was the ultimate coachable athlete. Hmm. He did exactly what, what Kessler had asked for and did it well. And he's like, oh, shoot, I, I can train this guy. And yeah, the Hawaiians that had come with Duke, they, you know, the people that had come with him all left and left Duke alone because Duke was going to stay. He wanted to get better. And he lived with those guys. I think, if I remember right, he lived with Kessler and trained for two months with him. Wow. And went from a guy that couldn't do it to the guy that had mastered everything that Kessler had taught him and just became unbeatable. And that's what that's what led to him joining the Olympic team. It, it was within no time everyone everyone saw what Kessler saw. But you know, before he knew how to jump in, before he knew how to breathe, before he knew how to turn, you know, Kessler saw, oh, this guy's gonna kill once he figures this out. Isaac, and, and it's, I think that's that's the power of Aloha. Really, sorry, it, it, is that it, it drew good people to do. It, that's the coolest part of his story. Is he noticed that people just come to him that help him. And he drew the good out of people all around yeah. him. There is this, like, look at your life and how you describe how you've been touched personally. You, you, you believe it in God, whatever you want, but there's a spirituality. And uh, to me, that's the connection about this whole idea of rescuing and resurrecting, not inventing, but rescuing the surfboard and surfing, rescuing the sitar. Mm -hmm. So listen to George Harrison and Ravi Shankar talk about it's being touched by God almost in, in this process. Listen to this. And without knowing technically or understanding, this does have an effect on a listener, even if it's absolutely new. And I felt it from the very beginning. Well, yes, it is. That's what it is in, I think, classical Indian music. They have an expression which is... Um, Nadha Brahma, which means... Nadha Brahma, which means uh, sound is God. Sound is God. Well, how about riding aboard? Here, Duke Hanamuku, in his own words, calls it a thrill. Here he's greater than a gold medal, four Olympics. No, the greatest thrill, the touching of God, is actually riding away. Listen to Bruce Brown, who was a dear friend and patient of mine. I rebuilt his shoulder, talking to Duke Hanamoku. To win those Olympic Games or ride some of those giant waves at Castle Surf, I know you used to ride. Oh, they're pretty, uh, both are quite thrilled, but I think this surfing is much more to me, the greatest thrill of my life. He's riding one of these big surf with the heavy board, weighs about 114 pounds and about 16 feet long. And there's a story of Duke riding a wave at Waikiki one day for a mile and an eighth. It's a legend over here in Hawaii, and so is the Duke. Do you feel there's a spirituality to this movie, Waterman, that you made? Ah, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's what Duke does. I, I say it over and over to people. You know, I, Duke did the hard part. He, he, he just put aloha in everything he did, and he made it easy for me. All I had to do was make sure it was entertaining mm -hmm. and that it was memorable. He, he, he 
you can't do Duke without spirituality. And I love that you're throwing love on George Harrison. To know that he and Brian Wilson were at the top of the game at the same time is just an incredible mm-hmm. era of music. But it's like, I, there's things in this world, like sound waves, like you're saying, that, that, that bring something special out of you. And I, I think aloha, the phrase and the meaning, is, is part of that. I think surfing carries it, too. Everybody that has ever surfed, there's something you feel that you can't even explain. Before um, I let you go, Isaac, tell us when us in Los Angeles, I've already gotten to see the movie thanks to Chet, but I want you to tell us when can we here in L.A. see the movie Waterman? Oh, man, I want to say, see, I know we hit Utah next week, but I want to say it's the week after that. Is that right? I, I totally forgot. I'm not next to my notes right now. I'm sorry, man. And that's yeah. going to be in movie theaters? How how will people be able to access? Netflix, tell us how we can do it. Yep. It's going to be in movie theaters. Yes, it's going to, it's, it's what I know docs are hard selling theaters, but it will. It'll be in the in local theaters. Look it up. So you can go if you can. And, and I know docs are harder sell for people, but the idea was if people want to see this in a theater, we'll make sure it's a memorable and great experience. And it's, it's out here. It's, it's been amazing in Hawaii to watch a full theater with the emotion that comes from people when they come out. It's, it's Duke changes lives today. And it's, it's incredible to see. That's awesome. Listen, Isaac, you're blessed. We're all blessed that you're doing this and carrying it on. Your uncle made a statue of Duke in Waikiki that every time I go, and I go a lot uh, to surf in Hawaii, that's a whole other story, to the south shore of Oahu. And every time I go, someone, somebody from faraway lands is putting lays on that statue because they get moved by just seeing that man. And it's a lot to do with the fact that your uncle didn't just make a sculpture, a statue. He made more than that. You could feel Duke in that statue. So it's in your blood. It's in your heritage. And thanks so much for joining us this morning and enlightening all of us. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for, thanks for giving some love to Duke. This man deserves to be remembered. He's uh, one of America's greatest. And I, I, love, I love that we're talking about it. God bless you. And say hi to Dave Davis for me. Love that guy. Oh, love you. I will. Okay. All right, Isaac. All right, Warriors. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The lines are still lit up. God bless you for hanging on. I promise I'll get to all of you. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. I don't want to interrupt this music, Will. Speaks to my heart. Sandals. This is the theme from The Endless Summer. Movie that Bruce Brown made to change the world. All right, let's do some Clapper Vision. Clinic's open. Let's go first to Lillian. Lillian, that was my mother's name. Oh, my God. Now, I'm really, my heart is beating. Thanks for joining us, Lillian. How young are you? What do you do for a living? Hi, Dr. Clapper. I am 53 years young, and I am a special education teacher, recently a special education administrator at an elementary school in L.A. Unified. God, well, listen, you do not have to find a total stranger and do something nice for them. You walk the walk and talk the talk every day of your life, and it is my honor and pleasure to be able to help you. So tell me how I can help you. What hurts? Thank you so much. This must be Nide, because I did something to my right knee. I don't know what. I didn't fall nothing like that but i ended up having to have an mri good i can't extend it all the way um but i can read you yes impression please yes okay so it says and you said you're 53 right i am 53 yeah francis earlier he did a great job of reading i wanted to compliment him on that (laughs) as a reading reading specialist i needed to say that (laughs) okay um and JC right on girl. 
um, <laughs> impression. Hey, Radio listen, so that means you listen to the show a lot. What's your favorite story in I 12 do. years that I've told? What's your favorite story? Yeah, you know, um, I've, you've actually helped me with my, my right shoulder as well. And I knew that you're, I remembered that your mom's name is Lillian. Oh. And your favorite story, my favorite story was the one about the couple where the husband was too stubborn to come in <laughs> to see you. So the wife called and said she had an ailment and she came in and saw you. And when you came in, she told you, well, the issue really is my husband, but he, but he wouldn't come down. I guess they lived like in Bakersfield. He yeah, wouldn't come down yeah, yeah. unless I, you know, had him bring me. So that was my. Oh, that's, story. that's the life that I live. Can you imagine? I see 100 patients a week for 33 years. And one story is just more incredible than next. Yeah, Even this week. I did did 10 big surgeries this week. And I got to tell you, so of the 10, probably seven of them, at least, uh, did not, does not do not speak English. They speak Persian. They speak Russian. They speak Spanish. They speak all different land, Korean. These are the patients that I take care of. And what's so awesome is that, yes, I can still communicate because not that I speak these languages, but God made us all the same. And the the skill right. and the talent that I have after doing 16,000 surgeries, once you get through the skin, we are all the same. And it's just fabulous. So the stories of meeting the people in the office, it just doesn't get any better. That's why after a day of seeing patients, my lunch area in the office my mouth is watering already. Tamales, kimchi, uh, baklava, every possible way for that grandparent to say thank you to me thank in food. Yeah. It's just awesome. So let's have you read the impression of the MRI, and I'll see if I can help. Okay. Radial tear at the root of the medial meniscus with a three-millimeter fluid. Okay. The body of the meniscus is extruded. Yes. A horizontal tear is seen in the posterior horn and body of the meniscus. So that's the key. Mild- horizontal. Did you hear that? Horizontal. I did. Not vertical. Not oblique. Horizontal. And what does that mean? That means that you're right. No fall. No injury that occurred. This is father time. Altacocoritis. This is the DNA from your grandparents in you. That's a delamination. It's almost like the here's a clapper vision. The glue on the formica top in your kitchen, the glue has dried out, and now the formica is separating from the plywood. It's basically a horizontal tear means degenerative, and that's why you don't run to surgery when you're dealing with a horizontal tear. Go ahead. Mild degenerative changes of patellofemoral and uh, medial tibiofemoral compartments. Right. So the medial meniscus, infusion. the medial meniscus is the shock absorber cushion in the big toe side of the knee joint, the medial compartment. That's the brake pad, if you will. The rotors, right? The linoleum is the brake pad, the surface, the meniscus. But the plywood or the rotor of the brake, the deeper structure, that's the arthritis in the medial compartment. So even though your medial meniscus is not great, you better not let someone talk you into surgery for a horizontal tear because it's breaking down, but at least it's still a cushion. Same thing I told the other caller. Unless you tell me after a, you know, a month or two, you can't really fully straighten or bend your knee that it's blocked like a doorstop is stuck keeping you from moving it fully, and it's been a while, then you can have an arthroscopy. You don't need a knee replacement for this, but you have arthritis behind your kneecap, and you have arthritis. The deeper structure is damaged, not just the meniscus in the medial or big toe side of the joint. Go ahead. Keep keep going. Okay. Um, let's see. Large joint effusion and mild synovitis. So that is, why, that is why you're having blockage of movement. It's not because you have a doorstop stuck. That horizontal tear is not flipped up like a bucket handle tear. You don't have that. So that irritation of the torn meniscus is like getting poked in the eye. Your eye gets red. It gets swollen. It's painful. That's the effusion. That's the swelling. The redness in a poked eye is inside your knee. 
That fluid accumulation is what's blocking your motion. And you and I need to get the fluid to calm itself down. And what's the best way to do that? Not a pill, not a cortisone shot, not injections. And even if you stuck a needle to move, remove the fluid, guess what's going to happen, Lillian? You'll go home a couple hours later. It's going to come back again because the blister, the damage to the meniscus is irritating. You and I need to get it to become a callus. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to walk in the pool. Well, Dr. Clapper, I don't have a pool. Where am I going to walk in the pool? Good. You're going to go to Lindy Huey's pool, complete physical therapy in Culver City. That's where I, she's the one I wrote the book, Heal Your Knees With. You need to make it your way over there. I have the book. There you go. Then do the exercises with her Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I need you, Lillian, when's your birthday? Uh, December 28th. A late birthday present. You need to buy yourself, not a Peloton. You don't need that. You can you can buy yourself a stationary bike, a Schwinn spinning bike, a few hundred dollars, a birthday present. Have it in your house. Not that there's anything wrong with the Peloton. You can do that if you want to. But you don't have to spend that much money. You can get a, a Schwinn spinning bike. And on the days you don't go to the pool, you ride the bike. Well, Dr. Clapper, it's hard to ride the bike. It hurts. It's swollen. I can't even bend it. Okay, do five minutes. Just sit on the bike in front of the TV. But you will eventually work your way to more. Raise the height of the seat. It'll allow you to straighten, extend your knee. Lower the height of the seat. You'll be able to flex it a little bit more. And after the session, put ice on your knee. That will help with your swelling. This is not a project that's going to happen and make you better in a week or two. This is a journey. It's now April, April, May, June. You're going to deal with this until June, July, and then you're going to start to feel better. Okay, great. All right? No surgery. Yeah, thank you. No shots. No All pills. Right. Do the, you've already got the book. Having the book is different than actually doing what's in the book. So you're going to need to figure out how to get to the pool on the alternate days. Get yourself that bike. You work so hard. You do such good things for us, our society. You deserve a birthday present. You need to now get yourself a stationary bike. Do, I did your point system, and it says I can do 30 points of exercise Good. a week right Good. now. Good, but get the bike. I don't want you to say, oh, I'll go to the gym. Then you got to wait for the big, fat, smelly guy to get off the bike. What do you need this in your life? <laughs> you need your own bike. You'll be in your pajamas. Nobody's looking at you. Turn the TV on. Do five, ten minutes. That way, you're not being bothered. And I will tell you, since it's so swollen, do five minutes it's on the bike cold. in the morning and then do five, ten minutes in the afternoon. Break it up. Don't do it all at once. Okay. All right. What a pleasure hey, to be able to talk you. to you, to someone named Lillian, near and dear to my heart. Let me give you a few Lillian <laughs> Clapper words of wisdom. First, she told okay. me, Robbie, say yes to everything in life. Don't worry. The world will tell you no enough. That was my mother. Every time I'd come home with awesome. a with a with a test, Mom, look, I got a ninety five. She'd say to me, Really? What happened to the other five points? I go, Mom, everybody else got a seventy. I got a ninety five. Who cares about the other five points? She goes, I'm not worried about those other people. I'm worried about you. How come you didn't get a hundred? And now most people would go, Are you crazy? And it would crush you. But for me, I just wanted to She'd do exactly more. exactly what to say to motivate you. You know, awesome. she, she just would push and push and push, and it was never enough. But you know what? She was the greatest. And if you ever came to my office, you would see all the athletes' pictures who want to send me pictures for saving their careers and all the movie stars who I've taken care of. But what hangs in my office, the first thing you'll see other than the sculptures and the surfboards is a picture from 1942 of my mom with her nursing cap graduating from nursing school because when wow. she said to me when I was 12, so Mr. Big Shot, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to be a carpenter like my dad. She goes, really? I got to go to work to make a living. He can't make a living as a car. Why do you want to do that? I said, because I want to work with my hands. I want to be just like him, be creative. She said, Robbie, do me a favor. First, you should be a doctor. Then you could do whatever you want. I'm going, all right, I'll become a doctor. So I became a doctor. And as soon as I got to medical school, I saw, wait a minute, I can use drills and saws and hammers. I can be a carpenter in the body. So I became an orthopedic surgeon, a carpenter in the body because of that woman. So Lillian, it warms my heart to talk to you. I can tell already the sweetness that you give to those students. They're lucky to have you as their teacher. God bless you and do what I say and you'll get better. All right. Thank you so much. Bless right. you as well. All right. Have God a beautiful bless. day. You too. You too. All right, Warriors, let's talk about next week. 
Although I can take calls, all the lines are lived up. Should I take another call? Nah, we'll take one more? Okay. Let's go to Byron. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Byron, you there? Or is it Brian? Is it Brian or Byron? Byron, wake up. You there? Oh, boy, he's going to be mad. He's been hanging on the line. I've seen that name for the whole show. But Byron. Well, I'm going to talk about next week. Thanks to the great Jared Abrams. Next week, we're going to have a company that makes compression shorts that I wear under my surfboard, sur- um, wetsuit when I go surfing. Virus is the name of this company. Compression shorts. Awesome. So I started to think, compression, where do I see that in sports, in art, and in my world of surgery? So important. And then it hit me. The greatest jazz trumpet player. There's many. There's so many. But there was one that was really special because he blew that horn so hard, his cheeks popped up. His name was Dizzy Gillespie. So other than the fact that his cheeks popped up and he was an awesome trumpet player, probably one of the greatest of all time, there's something about compression and Dizzy Gillespie. And you know what it is? One day in 1953, he's working as a jazz trumpet player. And backstage, a, a dance group tripped, fell on his trumpet, his one and only trumpet, and bent the trumpet 45 degrees. Basically broke it. Dizzy Gillespie don't have the money to buy another one right away. So he picks up the trumpet and blows to see if it can still make a sound with a 45-degree angle. And guess what? It does. And he liked it. Go on YouTube and watch Dizzy Gillespie blow that trumpet. He sounds different because he plays it with a trumpet with a 45-degree bend in it, which compresses the sound. Compression in art. And what about in sports? Well, his name was Ben Hogan. Before there was Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods, he taught us compression in the world of golf. Can't wait till next Saturday. Until then, I'll leave you with Volari, which means I'm singing and I'm flying, which is what we did today with the Waterman movie coming out and Duke Kahanamoku and George Harrison. I'll leave you with Volari. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio.